podcast is provided for general information and for general information purposes only and does not replace your financial, tax, legal or finance product advice. Hello everyone and welcome to The Female Investor, your chance to listen to two of Australia's leading property experts talking about all things property buying, finance, strategy and lots more. Kate Hill and Nicola McDougall are the authors of the book The Female Investor, Creating Wealth, Security and Freedom Through Property. Kate is an award-winning property mentor and coach, a qualified property investment advisor and founder of buyer's agency, Advisable. And she's a successful property investor herself. Nicola is an award-winning and prolific property journalist. She has been involved in property research, analysis and reporting for 15 years. And she is also a successful property investor herself. Property investment is one of the simplest, safest and preferred ways for women to create financial freedom. And with the right information to make an educated and informed decision, this can be achieved. If you know a woman who is concerned about her financial future, or maybe that's you. If you're keen to improve your chances of creating an income for life, then this is your place to learn, be inspired and motivated. Along with some special guests, Kate and Nicola will be offering genuine practical news and tips to women of any age to stake your claim on the property market. So come on, ladies, stay tuned and let's do this together. Hello, all you lovely female investors out there. It is Kate here. I am back this week with some awesome news content for you. We've had a federal election here in Australia, and the results of that should hopefully show a great outcome for women in general. Then I've got a little report for you about what they're calling the great wealth transfer. And then I have all your latest property news. So stay tuned for all of that. Now, I don't know about you, but I am very, very pleased that the Australian federal election is now over. While the impact on property markets did not seem to be as pronounced as during previous campaigns, the endless policy launches and general one-upmanship does get a little tiresome as the weeks drag on. But, you know, I don't want to talk about politics too much. Most polls had pointed to a change in government. We really did kind of expect it, although they did last time too and were wrong. But generally speaking, I don't think many people are surprised that our Prime Minister is now an elbow rather than a SCOMO. However, one of the biggest talking points from the election results surely has to be the success of female independent candidates in the inner city electorates of Sydney and Melbourne. So successful were they that they usurped a number of sitting members of parliament, including our now former federal treasurer, Josh Frydenberg. Women seem to have more representation now. So while I'm genuinely not a big fan of this term at Teal to describe the spectacularly successful cohort of professional women who are now MPs and senators, there is no question that they have changed female representation in Parliament and hopefully forever. So at the time that I am recording this, sort of towards the end of May 2022, there were still a few seats to be finalised. But according to the ABC, which is our news network here in Australia, there has been a 30% increase in the number of female MPs in the House of Representatives or the lower house from this election. There will be at least 59 women out of the 151 seats 
which means females will represent about 39% of the lower house, up from 31.7% in the previous parliament. But Labour has also seen its female MPs increase from 29 to 36 following the election results. Plus, female representation on the crossbench has tripled from just three to 11. Most of those are these so-called teal independents. So in other really good news, women will hold at least 39 of the 76 seats in the Senate or the lower house with increases in female senators across all the major political parties recorded. So in total, this means that about 41% of all seats across both houses will be held by women, and that is the highest on record. This is not the place, of course, to debate about why these results have come to pass, but it is surely a sign that the political arena is no longer a boys' club, and I think that is generally what the women's voices have all been crying out for. Having more female representation in the halls of power should be a positive for all women, with equality one of the key policy platforms for many of the independent candidates. Now, as I've been saying for quite some time, the differing financial outcomes for men and women have not improved significantly over the decades, perhaps because women didn't have enough of a voice in the sort of places that matter Policies that help address the financial inequality between genders are a good place to start. With housing affordability schemes such as the Family Home Guarantee designed to help single parents achieve home ownership. But it would be wonderful if more thought and action was given to addressing the inequitable superannuation balances between women and men at retirement. And it is usually due to women taking time out of the workforce to raise children or then working part-time while their offspring remain in school. Now, as is mentioned in Shameless Plug coming up, The Female Investor, our book, Creating Wealth, Security and Freedom Through Property, a female's superannuation balance starts to stagnate from their late 20s while the male's continues to grow year after year. Even when a woman does return to the workforce. Like I say, she is unlikely to ever claw back the financial losses that she has accrued because she simply had children. There's no real simply about that, right? It's a big job. Of course, so did her. Her partner had children too, but it is usually not their superannuation that will have to pay for the financial consequences of that decision to jointly procreate. Look, that said, with more female representation in Parliament than ever before in this country, I am cautiously optimistic that these gender-based financial imbalances may finally start to be addressed. So keep those voices loud and clear, ladies. We need to be heard. New research has found that it will actually be women and not men who will hold the most wealth in the years ahead. Isn't that fantastic news? Now, of course, I would hope that this is because of the skyrocketing numbers of female investors uh, who are all buying our fabulous book. And that day will hopefully arrive one day. But the reason for this actual shifting financial balance of power is simply due to longevity. So that is by 2025, it seems, 
it is estimated that women will hold 60%, certainly in Britain, of Britain's wealth, having inherited most of it from their deceased spouses. And this is according to the Centre for Economics and Business Research. We can safely assume that these stats are relevant for most other developed nations around the world too. A survey from Schroeder's found that only 7% of wealth managers have dedicated strategies in place to retain, attract and advise female clients, which of course is another issue entirely, but not something that I am unfamiliar with because when I am looking for financial planners to give to my clients, uh, it is always, always men. Nothing that there's wrong with all you lovely men out there. But sometimes a lady wants to deal with a lady and there's very few of them out there. According to a Financial Times report, a large portion of Britain's wealth is currently held by the baby boomer generation. And they were born between 1944 and 1964, and most often by couples in which men for that generation frequently manage the finances. But that situation is set to change as men of this age pass on and women on average outlive their husbands and assume independent control of family wealth. This is what the report said. Now, this asset shift will put pressure on the wealth management industry if it's not doing so already which for decades, like I've said, has been geared towards courting male clients. Again, according to financial advisors, and I'm going to give a big sigh there. According to this report, many firms have long been like completely preoccupied with generational transfers of wealth when children inherit assets from their parents and not for when women simply outlive men. Of course, the great wealth transfer is already underway, given that many baby boomers are well into the 70s already, or into their 70s, I should say. One of the most alarming aspects of the report was that most women of that generation admitted that they were not educated enough to manage the wealth that was being transferred to them, or the joint wealth that they now have sole control over. On top of that, the wealth management industry has been male-dominated for so long that many women have been reportedly less than keen to seek out a financial advisor after their partner has passed away. Now, really, this all boils back down to financial literacy. So now, clearly, I don't work in the financial services industry. I'm not a financial advisor, nor do I provide any sort of financial advice. I'm a property investment advisor specifically. But to me, this story really underlines a deeper issue, in my opinion, which is the historical inequality between males and females when it comes to financial literacy and even financial control or input of that combined wealth. So for us, the motivation to change this situation is the reason behind the existence of The Female Investor, our book, Creating Wealth, Security and Freedom Through Property, or TFI, as it really is becoming affectionately and increasingly known. So yes, TFI is about property investment principles at its very heart, but fundamentally, it is about women taking charge of their financial future and education sooner 
so that they will have more choices later on in life. And I do think that is starting to happen. Baby boomer women have been really strong supporters of the female investor, often telling us that they wish the book had been around when they were young. And many are buying copies for their daughters and granddaughters as well, which is fabulous. So thank you, ladies. And that is what Nicola and I hope to achieve. A new generation of women who are financially capable to manage their own finances and wealth and who can also manage any transfer of wealth that heads their way in the years ahead. So go, ladies. We think you can do it. Interest rates are not likely to increase as much as many analysts are predicting. According to the head of the Commonwealth Bank here in Australia, interest rates will increase, but are unlikely to hit the 2.5 increase that some are predicting by the end of the year. They say that would be the fastest pace of rate increase in decades, and analysts have gotten well ahead of themselves in predicting what the rate of increase is likely to be. The Combank predict a cash rate closer to 1.3% by the end of this year before moving to a more modest 1.6% perhaps mid next year. Now, we do love a good speculation and prediction, don't we? (laughs) But let's see what happens. The Combank says that the increases will still have obviously a modest impact on the housing market. And I quote them, one of the key questions in our mind is where does the cash rate settle? And I think there's actually quite a divergence across the market in terms of what the market is pricing for expectations versus what we think is going to occur. End quotation from Combank. Extremely low vacancy rates continue to push rents higher, with SQM research figures showing that the national average is at 1.1%. That is a national average, mind, right? It's going to be different city to city and state to state. SQM say that the national vacancy rate increased 0.1% in April, but remains close to its lowest ever level. That is the important thing to remember there, people. Six of our eight capital cities in Australia have a vacancy rate well below 1%, with Sydney on 1.6%, Melbourne on 1.9%. Hobart and Adelaide have the lowest vacancy rate with both at 0.4, while most regional areas are under 1%. While the small increases in vacancy rates means rental conditions have not deteriorated further, it is still very much a landlord's market. There are, and I quote SQM, still far more would-be renters than landlords at this stage. And that is why we are still seeing rents continuing to rise strongly around the country. In the past month, rents rose by 1.4% following a 2.4% increase in the previous month. SQM says that the year to May, Brisbane house rents rose 21%. Sydney house rents 19% and Adelaide was up 20%. So following on from that little segment there, rent rises coupled with the low interest rates that we are having at the moment. It means that it is cheaper to buy than rent in many Australian suburbs, would you believe? CoreLogic figures show that monthly mortgage repayments based on a median house or unit price are cheaper than rents in a whole 274 suburbs. 
201 of those are unit markets and the remainder are houses. There are 20 unit markets and one house market in Sydney where buying is cheaper, while in Melbourne, 20 unit markets are cheaper. A monthly mortgage repayment for a unit in Darwin is $1,013 cheaper than renting. In Western Sydney, buying a unit in Auburn is $318 a month cheaper than renting, while in Rose Hill, the difference is $266. In Mary's Hill, it's $254. In the inner Sydney market, buyers pay $203 a month less to buy rather than rent in Rosebury, while in Mascot, it is $190 cheaper. In Melbourne, units in Carlton and Docklands are cheaper by $533 and $422 respectively, while in Perth, Wembley and West Leaderville, they are all cheaper by $797 and $785 per week. Prices in regional Australia continue to grow with new figures showing an increase of almost 5% in the April quarter. Now, this comes on the back of a 24% capital growth rate in the past 12 months, compared to 15% in the combined capital city markets. CoreLogic says that the Hunter Valley in New South Wales is the strongest performing market for houses, with its values up 34% in the last 12 months. The Launceston and northeast region of Tasmania is the strongest performing unit market, with values up 31% in the past 12 months. CoreLogic say that the continuing outperformance of regional markets is a result of the move to working from home. No surprises there. They say that regional areas are more affordable than capital cities and those who can work from home take advantage of that. I quote them, although demographic data is significantly lagged, anecdotally, we are still seeing strong demand for regional housing supported by high internal migration rates, say CoreLogic. Coming back to the interest rate topic, even if interest rates continue to rise, most homeowners are well prepared to cope with it, according to BankWest. Now, its customers have nearly tripled the rate of savings in offset accounts over the past two years, with 90% of its borrowers ahead on their repayments. That's a lot of borrowers, right? Westpac, one of our other big four banks in Australia, says that 72% of its customers are ahead on their mortgages. Bankwest says that many customers are in a better position than before the pandemic. And while many Australians are facing cost of living pressures, bank figures show that plenty of customers have significant savings. And I'm quoting Westpac, we have seen throughout the pandemic that savings balances were on the rise and many homeowners took advantage of low interest rates to channel those savings into paying down their home loans. Go us, is what I say. I continue the quote, that behaviour is likely to prove extremely helpful for those who were able to pay off extra off their home loan as we enter a period of rising inflation and cost of living pressures. And that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and found it super useful. You can email us with any questions that you have on info at thefemaleinvestor.com.au. 
Don't forget to order a copy of the book, The Female Investor. You can go to your local bookstore, pick it up on Amazon or Booktopia or anywhere that good books are sold. And you can head to thefemaleinvestor.com.au where you can click on the links and also find lots of resources on property investing, news, hints, tips and videos. We will be with you all again soon. Stay safe and well, everyone. Bye for now. Bye for now.